Hello and welcome back to the Open Labour podcast. Uh, I'm joined as always by my co-host Tom Hinchcliffe. It's just you and me today, Tom, isn't it? Yes, unfortunately for everybody else, it's just you and me. <laughs> no special guest. Um, the, so no reason for people to tune in, really, other than to just listen to us waffle for half an hour. I might, I might put a really big name in the title. Like sure. Jer- Jeremy Corbyn, shock interview or something like that. And uh, see, <laughs> see the, the shock being click. that he's not actually in the interview. <laughs> <laughs> see if loads of people click on it and get lured into a false sense of security and have to listen to us too. But, <laughs> I don't know Oh, how you been? It's been a long time, hasn't it, since we've done this podcast? I know you went solo over the election period. When was that? So it was March that you, you did one with Kieran, wasn't it? Yes, I did one with Kieran in, in end of March. It's been about a month since we've done this. I went a bit Gary Barlow, went solo. It was quite good. But <laughs> glad to have you back, steering the ship as usual. But yeah, I mean, since then, a lot has happened. This is this is a local election special, not a Jeremy Corbyn interview. So <laughs> let's talk. Let's <laughs> get second. out there, get that out yeah. there straight away. And you'll First, see the numbers drop. If that was live, you'd just see a huge <laughs> drop in numbers as people click off. <laughs> yeah. And they don't I mean, have the option with the podcast. We don't, well, we can't see if that's happening with the with the podcast, can we? But I'm sure it's true. <laughs> I'm so glad stats don't happen in real time because it could be utterly depressing. <laughs> but first things first, congratulations to you. Your win in Crossgates and Winmore, councillor. I should have called you councillor, actually, shouldn't I? I'm surprised. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm surprised you didn't start by saying, Welcome to the Open Labour podcast. I'm what are you trying cons- to say? You're trying to say I'm conceited, mate. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think, I don't, I don't like the title, though, councillor. Well, I've been a councillor before, as you know, but you, it's funny when you get elected. The first time I got on, you didn't realize that every council officer has to call you councillor and police officer and things like that. I went to the police station once at um, Ellen Road um to to have a look round and all the police officers like you know say councillor rather than say your name and I was like please don't you know it's like well we've got to refer to you as your rank so I'm just I'm James you know that's what's I, I don't well I'm a social worker as you know so you know we're taught it's embedded into us you know to sort of disregard the whole hierarchy thing it just doesn't sit well with me but yeah. there we are well you're a man of the people for those who that's don't right, know, mate. for those who don't know James <laughs> Was successful in the local elections in a ward which is in Richard Bergen's constituency in, in Leeds East. I was born there and when I joined the party 11 years ago it was one of the safest seats in Leeds and there's been a really steady kind of rise in Tory support especially in that ward actually so James did really well to win since 2015 and it's really welcome that you've actually won there because it would have been a bit gutting for me personally as well if I'd have seen that go Tory after being so strong um you know, Labour support there forever. Uh, Dennis Healy's old parliamentary constituency. It's crazy. But yeah, well, it was 137, 137 votes. And at the last election in 2019, um, this was when Theresa May was still the prime minister and um, was very unpopular because of her um, perceived inaction on Brexit. Of course, Labour was equally as unpopular. And I think we were neck and neck in the polls in the early 20s at that point, weren't they? sort of 22%. But yeah. anyway, in that election, we had a majority of 1,100 votes and that's that's been whittled down to 137, as I've just mentioned. Uh, what's really interesting though, Tom, is that our percentage vote share only went down by 0.5%. Um, you know, we did a, we had a good campaign. There's no, no two ways about it. And, and some people would argue opposite, but in my 
in my view, we had, we had a, a new campaign. It was um, quite modern for, for that area, which is, as you say, has been traditionally very labour. Um, so this, mm. some of the really modern and up-to-date campaigning techniques um, having, that, that we see in, in really marginal constituencies and, constitu- and wards haven't been utilised in, in that area. And they were in this, in, in this campaign and it meant that we were able to scrape by. But yeah, that, it's really interesting. 0.5% our percentage vote share went down. Um, so the Labour vote held up very, very well. Of course, what didn't, uh, what changed completely was the fact that the Tories percentage vote share went up by 20%, a whopping 20%. I mean, it's it's huge. (laughs) That was uh, very similar to the trends that we saw across the country. And it was due to the fact that the UKIP vote absolutely collapsed. So what traditionally Mm. has happened in recent years, since 2015, when all these changes have, have been going on in um, in the voting patterns of what used to be traditionally Labour areas, um, it, it is the UKIP got 20%, the Tories got 20%, and we got, you know, 40-odd percent. This is, this, as you, you're right saying that's a trend because you have, you know, you have a saturation of pro- progressive parties mm. in Labour, the Liberals and the Greens, mm. um, whereas the saturation of kind of right-wing parties has dried up. We'll come on to Hartlepool in a bit, but... Yeah. You know, there was no Brexit party. There was no UKIP, basically, yeah. because they've just vanished off the face of the earth. And yeah. what does that leave people with yeah. uh, that want to vote right? And it's, it's yeah. the Tories. And I mean, you say you scraped by, but your Labour colleague in your neighbouring ward scraped by by 12 votes. In That's right. Reason. That's right. Yeah, so yeah. that just shows you how tight these things are in really working class areas as well. Mm-hmm. So what what did you feel like? I feel like I'm interviewing you now. What yeah. did you feel like... Um, what, what was the feeling on the ground? What was it like campaigning in a working class area that seems to be abandoning Labour? I mean, the, the ward itself is sort of split. Um, one end, it's very uh, middle class. There's, there's been an, an increase in um, middle class Asian families going into that area. Um, and that area used to be traditionally very uh, conservative. But there are also, you know, sort of uh, young um, younger families moving in that are professionals as well. So the mix has changed from older Tory voters to um, younger, uh, younger families from the sort of city centre that are that are moving out there, and um, families from from um, Asian communities that were a little bit further down the road. So that area. Um, and I'm, you know, I hope I hope it's okay to say that, but I'm being candid about the sort of demographics. That area now is very, very solidly Labour. <laughs> and it's gone from our staunch Tory area to, you know, our best box. The other, the other end is similar, similar in demographic. And again, was perhaps a little bit more Labour in the past, but again, did really well. What, where we didn't do as well was um, in, in the middle of the ward, which is, and to put it into perspective for listeners, it is a big ward. We, we have 28,000 um, electors in that ward. It's a city, lead city council ward with three members. So it's a big area. Um, you know, it's not a small town council seat or something like that. In the middle of the, in the ward, it's a huge um, council estate. Some people might know it, Swarcliffe, but also a smaller ex-council estate, if you like, Winmore as well. Now, in those areas, we used to win those boxes by 80%, and that wasn't the case this year. It was sort of, you know, 60-40 towards we we were pushing ahead. Knocking on the doors was fine. It was, you know, there was a lot of Labour support, lots and lots of Labour support. 
but there was one demographic where we were clearly losing support and that was with older men men above you know 55 that had traditionally voted labor or perhaps even above you know 45 younger men were very much voting labor and they were and they you know what they were telling me on the doorstep is that they voted conservative for the first ever time in 2019 uh, and that they were planning to vote conservative again Older women or, well, women in general were sticking, very much sticking with Labour. Young people were sticking with Labour. Uh, but of course, the turnout in those places is pretty low. And, and this younger people that were saying that they were going to vote Labour, uh, you know, didn't tend to go out and vote. It was, it was mainly down to older people. Uh, and, that, and that was split, really. Uh, a lot of older, older men, as I said, were, were voting Tory for the, for the second time in their lives. So that explains what's going on. It wasn't hostility. You know, you're knocking on the doors. There wasn't a lot of hostility. But what really shone through, and I'm talking now in broader terms, I think, because I campaigned across the city in the, of Leeds. And of course, Leeds had a very, very good result, really. We only lost two seats. I mean, it's ridiculous. We had 10 years in government and we're saying, oh, it's a good result. We've only lost two seats. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't the collapse in vote that we saw in other areas, particularly in the northeast. There wasn't any hostility towards Labour, but people, there wasn't any enthusiasm towards Labour either. There wasn't any energy there at all. The sort of energy that I saw perhaps in, in 2018 when I won my, my first seat. Um, and, and, and that was it, really. So hostility from older men uh, and no, no real energy for late, no real energy and momentum behind Labour. I think that was pretty standard across the country. Sorry for waffling. No, that's fine. I, I, it's good that you explained that because as much as some listeners might not, you know, appreciate the ins and outs of intercity Leeds politics and the yeah. demographics in Leeds, it is very similar across the country. The trends are similar and we yeah. are going to come on to Hartlepool now. But, yeah. you know... You, we saw that across the country and, and you touched on the thing about enthusiasm and I think that's really important. I think there's, yeah. there's no enthusiasm for labor anymore. Yeah. Not like it was in the nineties and not like it was possibly in 2017 among certain younger demographics, but there's certainly not anymore. And people voted Tory in the last election to get Brexit done and things like that. So, mm. It's, mm. you know, there was some enthusiasm there, even if it was misplaced, it was still there. Yeah. And that's something we really need to channel, but let's go on to Hartlepool. Um, well, I think the analysis actually of where, why our vote collapsed in the northeast, in my opinion, of course, these are all opinions, but why our vote collapsed in certain areas in the northeast, for example, the analysis of that is very similar to the analysis of, of Hartlepool. I think they're the same, you know, obviously local issues, local politics, local issues. But yeah. but actually, I think um, Hartlepool was, a, you know, it was a by-election and that was about local issues as, as well in many ways. Um, so I think there's a lot of crossover. And, and for, for my part, I mean, you may have specific things to talk about, Tom, and I'm sure, I'm sure you will. But, it, you know, for my part, actually, when I talk about it in Hartlepool, I think that can be applied um, to all the areas where, where we didn't do as well as traditionally that we have done. Yeah, I think, I think I'm not looking to make excuses for Hartlepool, but because it was a really poor result and maybe the leadership could have probably done more in advance to set out a bit of a clearer vision. But, you know, in advance, but there was a, for me in Hartlepool, there was a toxic mix of a few things and some of it you've touched on in terms of the trends that we saw across the north of England. Um, but and to be honest, Dr. Paul Williams was a great candidate, but maybe things could have been a bit more transparent around the selection. That made a lot mm. of news. Um, the one one person shortlist was questionable at best. Uh, they could have at least run a shortlist. I understand the time pressures and things like that, but if they'd have ran 
a bit of a longer shortlist than one, then maybe it wouldn't have made a story. And, and you know, these things, these things snowball. So the fact he was such a good candidate, he's a doctor in the local NHS, you know, he's MP for Stockton South before, he knows how to win these elections and he still lost and that should be a major source of worry for us all. Do you I think, think him but, being a Remainer was a big issue as well? That's been cited a lot. Um, I think An unapologetic Remainer, should I say, because, you know... The, yeah, I think, yeah, no, I think, yeah, definitely. I think that that contributed to the snowball effect that I just talked about. I mean, I, I, w- I wouldn't discount the impact of that and I wouldn't discount the impact of having to hold a by-election mm. in the first place because the former Labour MP was suspended yeah. from the party and faced yeah. loads of sexual yeah. harassment allegations. And I think that does play a part. I mean, rightly so, it should play a part because it should play a part in the electorate's minds that um, someone has allegedly committed these horrible things and he's going to face Mike Hill is going to face a tribunal later this year so it's best not to say any more than that but that that is another thing that contributed to the snowball effect you know and, and you, we and this toxic mix mm. of things that saw Labour lose I think another one is that the government received a decent sized bounce yeah. because of the successful yeah. vaccine yeah absolutely and that's yeah. not a, that's not just a Tory thing we saw that yeah. in Wales yeah and yeah, yeah, exactly. Mark Drake had formed a government in Wales. Yeah. Nicola Sturgeon would handsomely again, yeah. uh, which is probably less about the vaccine yeah. and more to do with yeah. everything else. But th- this, is, this isn't just a Tory thing, is what I'm trying to yeah. say. And then the next thing is that it, it shouldn't have really been a surprise that we lost, mm. really, because the Brexit party won over 10,000 yeah. votes in 2019, I think. And with the, to- the Tory candidate in 2019 got 11,000 votes. Mike Hill, Labour, got 15,000. So the anti-Labour vote had a clear majority yeah. from the start. So when the Brexit party didn't stand in this election, you know, w- what I talked about in-, in East Leeds before about an anti-Labour coalition and right-wing voters or people that want to vote for a right-wing party having less choice fuels the one that's left, which is the Tories. So well, I think the hope it wasn't was, completely surprising. Well, you, you're right, but I think the hope was, you know, a lot of people that voted Brexit and a lot of people that voted UKIP, and I think this was true up until the 2019 election, is there were people that had voted Labour in the past that didn't feel that Labour represented them now, but couldn't bear to bring themselves to vote Tory. You know, the, the working class uh, in, 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 well, tend, tended to be working class, but, you, you know, working class... That perhaps grew up uh, they're an older generation so you know they may well own their own home uh, traditionally voted labor and and have drifted off you know at the end of new labor and um you know and perhaps stuck with ed ed miliband just about but maybe maybe left and then and then left very much so um under the under the jeremy corbyn era i think we were hoping and Keir was hoping that those those people would come back home and rather than coming back home, actually, they um, they did the opposite and, and voted for the Conservative Party. Double down, um, double down. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's it, that's it. But, but I think, what? Yeah. go on, sorry. No, I think, I agree. And I think when I say it wasn't surprising that we lost, it wasn't surprising that we lost, but it was the scale of the loss that was mm. deeply disappointing. You know, it wasn't yeah. the fact that we lost in the first place. It was that we got battered. And yeah. the overall picture is, and this is across not just the North, actually, I think it's across the whole country, that we have to start listening to people again. Mm. Labour can't mm. carry on acting like some sort of arrogant yeah. supply teacher yeah. that wants to go and talk, tell people what they should think and what they should yeah. think. And th- this is yeah. not the old argument against the culture wars and against political yeah. correctness. It's not. It's, it's yeah. about 
going across the country and listening to why they don't want, why they're not enthusiastic about mm. us anymore and why people just seem to vote us out of a sense of duty or yeah. to get rid of the Tories, not, never for us. And that, yeah. that's something that we really need to listen to. I think Keir's, Keir Starmer's plan, um, he plans to go on a listening tour, I think he said, around the, the places that are voting Tory. I think that is a good one. But mm. I, I think we do need to quickly step out of this kind of political Westminster-driven obsession with, you know, curtains and things like that and get back to the kind of community activism that we, we, yeah. we're going to come on to back yeah. later on. But with local candidates that are well-known and that have, you know, connections, existing connections with people in their well, area. Well, that, that leads me on to, to my sort of analysis, actually, Tom. Um, and I, I think what, what we have to appreciate is that Boris Johnson's government um, formed in 2019 is seen by huge swathes of the electorate as brand spanking new, with a brand spanking new mandate. Um, they're not the Conservative Party of Theresa May and David Cameron. Um, so any sort of idea that, well, it's been 10 years, so you know they're coming to the end of their time and people start switching back, to uh, to the opposition party and the sort of pendulum of politics that we've seen um, certainly over the 20th century and, and to a certain extent, you know, um, in, in the 21st century, that that isn't happening. People gave Boris a chance, you know, they like him um, and they feel vindicated in the decision because you know who they look at. People want want to feel vindicated. People don't like to admit that they made a huge mistake, so they're looking for an opportunity to feel vindicated, and they feel vindicated by the vaccine rollout. So that leads you to think, well, you know, but there are still huge problems in their communities and in their lives. You know, we've had it's and in, 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 in we know in the Labour Party, it's all been driven by the fact. Uh, of, of, of the Conservatives' um, policies over the past 10 years, uh, namely austerity, but further privatisation as well, um, which has led to huge deflation in living standards in this country, huge pressure on services, so the quality of public services that people can expect and do receive has, has been massively reduced. Even, you know, public transport, everything, every, every facet of people's life, in my opinion, has got much, much worse. Um, so people are angry and frustrated. Um, that used to go to the, be, be pointed at the government and the Conservative Party, but they're not doing that at the moment. They're giving Boris his chance. So who are they going to put the, that anxiety and frustration at? Well, they're going to point it at the party that's been the incumbents in their area now for 100 years, yes. and that is the Labour Party. Now, we know that the reason that the Labour, local Labour councils can't, can't provide uh, the services that once did is because of 10 years of austerity, huge, huge cuts to local government. We know that. But people, uh, people are fed up of that argument. And you can only make that argument for so long. Um, and, 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 and it's worn thin. And, you know, my argument is, and I, I understand that, actually, that, you know, it, it's, it's no excuse for inaction. And I think, you know, in, in, in some councils, councils that have been proactive, Labour councils in the Northwest, for example, in Leeds as well. Leeds has done done well, but certainly in the Northwest, they've been really proactive and, and visionary. I'm looking at Preston and Andy Burnham and people like that. Labour held up really, really well. In fact, increased in, in, in areas. And yes, that's got a lot to do with demographics and things. But in areas where Labour is, is, a, is less in touch with the community, less visionary, they've lost sight of who we are and what we're trying to do. Uh, trying to do we got punished 
um, because people are blaming us. And it's not the Labour Party's fault because of us because of austerity, but it is the local Labour Party's fault when they're failing to to do things to try and alleviate pressures of of austerity and trying to support those communities. I know that's that's a pointed statement, and I'm I'm not saying that those count the councils that have lost uh, are all terrible councils and things like that. But I think there are, and, and of course, a lot of it's got to do with um, demographics. But my experience of local Labour Party politics is that they can they can be a tendency to to revert to blaming the Tories when they're in government for everything and not thinking about right, okay, we're up against the cost here. What can we do to really try and alleviate? Uh, the problems of the people that we represent, you know, maybe I'm wrong, and 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 that's not to take away from this amazing work of really hardworking councillors up and down the country, really, and and councillors that have been uh, lost their seats despite being fantastic. I knew councillors that you know in winter would go out knocking on the doors of their residents and checking that they need milk, uh, milk and bread when it's been snowing and things like that that still lost their seat. So it's a broad sweeping generalisation, and I don't mean it to offend anybody, but um, I think there is something to be said for for that analysis. I agree, because I saw, when I went up to Hartlepool's campaign, I saw a food bank queue that was around the block, and there was 50 to 70 people in this queue. Yeah. And we went canvassing for about an hour and a half, two hours, came back and there were still the same people in the queue that were at the back or nowhere near the front yet. And they were like kids, you know, like two, three, four kids. And the answer is not to point at them and say, you're all idiots for voting Tory. And you're all, it's like Turkey's voting for Christmas. Mm. That is not, that is what Labour has done in the past. And this is where I get this thing from, this atmosphere from, 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 from how people engage with Labour at the minute is that we are seeing as arrogant and talking down to working class people and that's Mm. why we get punished at the ballot box so often so you're right in when you say good counselors punished at the ballot box but that is the reason and it it needs to stop or or we will not get anywhere i think on the whole we're going to come on to the mayors in a bit i know you mentioned them just now on the whole the local elections were not as much the disaster that they were made out to be really Yeah. yeah Obviously, well, where the, where the Tories have been in the incumbents, they got punished, didn't they? Actually, yeah, where yeah, the Tory, you know, Tunbridge Wells and places like that. So it was a, it was an election where you know the government wasn't getting blamed for anything, but local incumbency, where those where there was perceived inaction or inertia in those communities, you got punished. Yeah, that was and, and that was that was for the Tories as well as for the Labour Party. Yeah, and when I say the local elections weren't as much a disaster as as they were made out to be, I'm not saying that's the fault of the media. Mm. If you know, it was it was. I think we jumped the gun on the reshuffle a bit. Um, and then the whole fear of uh, Angela Rayner, whether she was... That was a mistake, or, wasn't it? That was a mistake. Or not. And, you know, it doesn't help. And it overshadowed what was a relatively successful Sunday set of yeah. results where we yeah. won all but one of the mayor elections. Yeah. Held, I think, every council in Yorkshire. It sent some Tory councils mm. down south uh, in Oxfordshire and Cambridgeshire into no overall control. Yeah. If these results, if these votes were translated into a general election, we would have gained 23 seats. So mm. it's just worth remembering when we talk about all this and how much of it was a disaster. And it was a bad set of results. I'm not saying it's not. What I'm saying is it's worth remembering how much of an electoral hole we were already in Yeah. Uh, while we have this discussion. I mean, there's a clear political shift going on in this country. Mm. And it's so important that we move with it. Nobody's support for Labour is guaranteed. Yeah. And 
And I think if we start talking about, uh, you know, this disaster that we've lost in the north and, and the northeast and stuff like that, Laura Pidcock was on the on the BBC uh, Politics Live the other day, and she said she can't believe that the people in Hartlepool have voted Tory, and it's a slap in the face to miners. And she she was asked why, and she said, "Well, I can't believe this," or something along these lines. I'm paraphrasing completely; and might get it slightly wrong, but basically, she referenced a a mining disaster that happened over 100 years ago. She said, I can't believe that they're not, that they're, they're voting Tory in Hartlepool. And it's it just, that is not the way to, that's another thing. That's another example of Labour pointing at voters and saying, it's your fault, you're idiots for voting but then, well, exa- well, exactly. And yet, you know, uh, communities that, um, that are where we're doing really well, that were areas that went Lib Dem in... 2003 because of Iraq that are now voting you know have huge labor majorities are those people idiots because they you know you know they were passionately against what um against the war in Iraq so are they idiots no yeah and um, nobody but, but, and I'm not accusing anybody of actually calling them idiots but that is the way no, it comes across there is a patronizing to absolutely well you know to to put the cards on the table I think you know listeners won't mind us saying that we're both um we're both very much working class you know I, I come from a I come from Mansfield and I, I don't know the ins and outs of your background, Tom, but, you know, my background was that my dad worked, my mum stayed at home, he worked on minimum wage. And the, the thing was that, you know, we weren't, we weren't poor, poor, because of, we had a Labour government and we had working family tax credits. Mm. But I tell you what, in, this, in, the, in the environment that we're in now, in the, the, exactly the same situation, we would be using food banks and struggling um, to make yeah, ends yeah, meet. And, yeah. and, and it, I, I doubt that I would have, you know, been able to have um, new school shoes every year at that level of uh, level, that level that would be at now. So I've grown up in, the, in, you know, people, listeners will know that Mansour now has a, a Tory majority of 16,000, 16, um, despite huge um, issues as a, as a result of um, Tory policy and, and social economic deprivation in that area. But I, I, being part of that community, um, as frustrating as it is that people are voting Conservative, I, you know, I, I do I do understand. I do empathise. I do understand to a certain extent what's what's going on there, and it's exactly what you said. Exactly what you said, Tom. Is people thinking that the Labour Party are, are talking down to them? They're not representing their views, and and when they do voice their views, they're treated with hostility. You know, and and if and certainly patronising. Um, you know, you're wrong. Uh, I understand, but you're wrong. But but at worst, hostility, and and people are fed up fed up with that in these communities and these are communities that have always voted Labour and Labour has to step up and find a way of bringing the two constituencies that have tended to support Labour um, since its formation which has been you know cosmopolitan liberal uh, liberals and and working class voters and there's a schism between those two at the moment parties not representing both um, and we've got to find a way of bringing those t- those two constituencies together and find a mutual mutual interest that we can progress through policy. Yeah, and I get yeah, and I get my view on what people think of Labour from my friends who are yeah yeah me too class and never went yeah. to uni and my uh, my family my dad and, yeah you know things yeah. like that and I've yeah. not had maybe with my dad I have but with. My extended family and things like that. I've never had a positive conversation about party. I've either had them taking the Mickey and saying, "Well, you're not very good, are you?" Or Jeremy Corbyn, mm. what a nutcase, and all this stuff. Mm. And then it resonates resonated with me in the in the leadership contest. Lisa and Andy said that if we we should 
we have to change or die. And I don't think we've changed enough yet. I really don't. And no, no. I'm still having these conversations with my family and other working class people. Um, and they're always the same. It's always either you're not doing very well. It's like supporting Leeds United, right? And <laughs> being a labour activist is one and the same. You have the same conversations, maybe not recently, but you have the same conversations mm -hmm. constantly. Yeah. It's like yeah. laughing at Leeds United, saying, you know, because of all the rubbish that goes on and off the pitch with Leeds United yeah. and all the controversy, yeah. it's just the same type of conversations over and over again. And when Lisa Nandy said, we have to change or die, uh, I think she was right, and we haven't changed yet. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think we're both on the same page. I mean, uh, so what, what do we, I think we spoke about Hartlepool and where we are. I mean, we're talking, we're talking about battling spend now and what we need to do. I think it, it leads nicely into that. So this sort of analysis of, we've seen the analysis where we went wrong, but what do we need to do to change? I mean, my, my personal view is I'm, I'm very much on, on the left of the party. I think that, you know, a lot of people sort of uh, raise an eyebrow to that. People that, you know, perhaps um, very avid followers of Jeremy Corbyn would say, well, well, you're not. Well, I think that sort of points to the problem that somebody like me that considers myself left wing and certainly agreed with all of Jeremy Corbyn's UK policies, uh, domestic policies and economic policies, uh, was made to feel like, um, you know, I wasn't left wing enough and a traitor and, and not part of the group. I think, you know, that was a big, big issue with the culture in the party. And why, and one of the reasons why uh, the Jeremy Corbyn project project failed. But anyway, that aside, you know, my politics. I I think that we need to be radical in order to to capture people's imagination and get people uh, enthused to vote Labour. Boris Johnson has enthused people. He is radical in his own way. I mean, look at the furlough scheme. Look at what he's proposing. Um, he's he's obviously triangulated on Labour Party politics. We know this. He's parked his tanks on our lawn, and we have. Um, you know, the achievements of the Jeremy Corbyn era was that he changed the political discussion, in my view, um, in a really, in a really positive way about changing society and how um, for, for permanently yeah. and for the and, and for the better. But there was a, I don't know if you saw that the the um, Tony Blair piece in the New Statesman, Tom. I did. Um, but he would. Yeah. It, well, I mean, I mean, I could I could rant at that. I'm, I'm really I wasn't I wasn't happy with with what he'd said but he did have some some um important points that i thought were valid and one of them was that and um, the sort of the radical left aren't sensible enough and and those that are consider themselves sensible aren't radical and i think that's true that's why i joined open labor because <laughs> it's the it's the it's the mixture of i want radical policies but i also want to win a government uh, and I think that's what Keir Starmer has to do. He has to step up. But he did promise us that. He promised us that on, on the on the on the campaign trail for his uh, for his leadership election. He promised us Corbyn's policies, his really in depth experience, and uh, being the head of public prosecutions, and as well as this sort of groundedness of, of being working class and knowing why we need to have a Labour government. But unfortunately for me, we're not seeing that at the moment. I think they just thought that Keir, Keir would be enough and people would come back home and they've not, just because he's not Jeremy Corbyn. Well, and, and that's not the case. It's yeah, not working, we, we, not enough. Yes, it's, not, it's not obviously not working, but we've got to start talking about things that people care about. We've got to go towards them. What actually matters to you? And then mm. we'll, we'll try to sort that out. And I think we're... In some ways we're getting there, in some ways we're not. 
someone who is getting there absolutely is our elected mayors and, and that's mm. Tracy Brabin and Andy Burnham. It was a massive yeah. victory for Tracy as West Yorkshire's first ever mm. mayor. So it's not mm. actually all bad as depressing as it has been so far. Yeah. It, it, obviously, it's triggered a by-election in Batley. Ben, we'll come on to that. Andy Burnham and Tracy have already announced plans to take buses back into public control and that's such a yeah. quick and decisive move. It shows what they yeah. can do in power. Yeah, it, it does help that in Leeds and Manchester we kept control of the councils, but yeah. it's testament to the political will of our mayors that, and metro mayors that they can act and act for the greater good of working people when they take office, yeah. as soon as they take office as well. <laughs> they didn't mess yeah. about. And yeah. I was never a fan of the mayoral system. Leeds had a referendum on it and was it was roundly rejected, but it's something that was imposed on us by the Tories. So we have to play the game. And if that's the way we can change things, then we've got to pursue those things. And I think public transport, just as an example, is probably the number one issue for people in the north, working people in the north as well. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're losing votes because after being chronically underfunded you know, for decades and decades, it can make people's lives, literally make people's lives easier, so much easier. Mm-hmm. And, it can, mm-hmm. and it protects the climate as well. So it's yeah. no brainer to pursue this. Just on your point about Corbyn's policies, they are popular when polled rather not pulled they are popular when taken individually it's when they are clubbed together into one manifesto and they're released every five manifestos released every five seconds that's when and policy announcements are every five seconds rather that's when they pull badly and that's when people react to them badly because it always comes up to how are you going to pay for it and as much as i agree with you that we do need to be more radical we need to be much more picky and much more targeted like Tracy Brabin already has been, in what we do. So it actually cuts through. Otherwise, the brilliant policies like free broadband and you know, nationalisation of the utilities, nationalisation of rail, they all pull brilliantly on their own, but they get lost in the noise if you're announcing policy every you know, other day, So especially not in the run-up to an election. So what I'm saying is I agree with you, but I, I just think we need to be cherry-picking as moments and taking them much more strategically. Well, that's, it's about a narrative, isn't it? That's why we lost in 2019 a lot of people. Yeah. point to that we didn't have a narrative well you know in, in 2017 that we we did but you know people people are rightly really really fed up they're fed up because society is not working for them i mean you know i was talking to my partner the other day and um we're both public sector workers i'm a social worker she's a teacher you know we pretty much get paid the same now actually the same as we would have done in 2010 but house prices have quadrupled, you know, the That's price mad. of coffees, the, the price of coffees quadrupled, you know, <laughs> it's been, it, but, in, and that's the same across the board for everyone, you know, our living standards, what, what we expect to get out of life um, for working hard is, it's been, it's been hugely, hugely reduced our expectations um, and it's having a huge impact and people are fed up and they know that society as it stands at the moment is not working for them and they want change. And, and quite rightly so, I want change as well. And I think, you know, what made New Labour so successful was that they had uh, a policy agenda, sweeping policies uh, agenda across all, all facets of society, whether it's public services, you know, whether it's tackling antisocial behaviour, um, whether it's redistribution of wealth, banking you name it they had ideas they had a vision for the future this is what society could look like and I think that's what we have to do I I thought my I mean I didn't vote for Keir Starmer but 
you know, I, I my, my my thought was, well, what what did Jeremy Corbyn lack? Why did he why did he fail to connect with the electorate in 2019? Well, you know, he, he in he was very much of the sort of that cosmopolitan London centric. So his Kia sort of uh, back middle class background. Um, you know, he was he was obsessed with uh, foreign policy. Um, and people aren't as obsessed about that at the moment because, you know, the, the things going on on their doorstep that they want solving. Um, you know, he, he, belong, he belonged to a certain class of people that had a certain ways of thinking that, that would that, and, and views that were different to those in the, in the north of England, which sort of clashed. But also he didn't have the experience of senior, uh, of, you know, just of senior public office and, and, the, and the educational background as well. Now, and I'm not being scathing of Jeremy Corbyn here. I really liked Jeremy Corbyn, um, but I'm saying this is what people saw. These are the these are the realities of things. I'm reading Owen Jones's book, latest book on it at the moment, and I think Owen Jones would would concur on a lot of the points, or, or does even mention them in, in his book. But but that's a contrast to what Keir Starmer offers. You know, he went to Leeds University, got a first, then he went to Oxford or Cambridge. He was a human rights lawyer. He's fought on the ground uh, for the um, to for, for human rights, like the Stephen Lawrence case or um, things that happened in Northern Ireland. I don't know the ins and outs of his case, though. Then he took senior public office and was able to deal with that. Um, you know, this is somebody who is ready to step up and be prime minister. Mm. Um, but people aren't connecting with him, in my view, because he hasn't got policies. Uh, he hasn't got a, a, an idea about how he wants society to change. They don't want the status quo. And, and he's, he's lurching to sort of new Labour 2.0. But and it's just not fit. That, that explanation or, or solutions to scientists' problems aren't fit. For, for for today's uh, for for the uh, for the current time, I think he has to be radical, Tom. I really do. In in there, a lot of ways, I'm going on a big rant there. I'm sorry. I'm passionate about this. I'm fed up. Are, this this is a last. Uh, yeah, everyone is. There's, there's a this is a not a work election review anymore. It's a last five yeah. years review. Um, you say about Kia? Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I like um, him, by the way. We'll come on to that he, afterwards, don't we? I yeah. think, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll come on to the. We're going to talk about the interview uh, with Piers Morgan and Live Stories, but just quickly on Batley and Spen. Batley and Spen isn't Hartlepool. The, there was no Brexit Party candidate in 2019, no. and it's a completely different demographic. It's more diverse, and we have a hugely popular uh, community activist in Kim, Kim Ledbetter, who's Joe Cox's mm-hmm. sister, who's standing for us. Obviously, this seat is massively symbolic because uh, Joe was murdered yeah. there in 2016. Yeah. And I know so many activists, you know, that have already travelled um, across the country, some of them, to, 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 to help. Um, so it's great to see that, the, that there's so many people piling in to help. Kim is a fantastic community activist. Her working uh, Joe Cox Foundation speaks for itself. I really do think that if, if we are successful in Batley and Spen, we need to look at how community activists like Kim mm. can be our next generation of MPs. Yeah. What works for yeah. them, and 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 why they win. They this is what I tried to get at earlier, and maybe didn't explain it as fully as I should have done. But they work tirelessly for their communities already, and they share and they promote Labour's mm. values. So I don't see why they wouldn't make perfect Labour candidates. That that is not a suggestion that we should get rid of our existing mm. MPs with local candidates. That's ridiculous because they're already amazing local labor community activists i'm saying where we're struggling we should really look into community activism those who share labor values 
and those who will do well for us at the ballot box because that's how we get back into yeah. government. Um, I don't know your No, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I am very, very much the advocate of what Labour elected officials like myself and the Labour part, local branches and constituencies should be focusing on now, as well as policy, you know, and sending policies up to the National Policy Forum and pushing, in my view, for, for policies that, that they know will be popular um, and will resonate with their communities. But that aside, they should be engaged in community activism. You know, the things that I, I, I've always done is, you know, setting up boxing projects, setting up off-road biking projects, tackle off antisocial off-road biking, setting up food banks, you know, working with local churches um, to, to, to set up projects to get people back to work just going out and talking to people and responding to casework and being their advocate, demonstrating our, our core values in practice in those communities. And it insulates you and it promotes the Labour Party and insulates us from, from a lot of the national rubbish and the, all, the, all, the pro, all the difficulties the Labour Party has always had, you know, the press, the biased press um, that are out to get us. Um, you know, the establishment are out to get us. They don't like us. They don't want us. And we can insulate ourselves in from that uh, to a certain extent with that sort of grassroots community activism. Uh, ultimately, it does come down to the leader and the, and the leadership. But, we, you know, we can get we can we can get those. We can perhaps gain an extra seven or eight points locally that insulates us off when we've had bad, bad elections like we just have done. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Definitely. I mean, the, the community activism point has to go hand in hand with a strong leadership. You can't have, you know, a tarnished leader and yeah. just a brilliant community activist. It won't work. Yeah. It, it, it no. will not work. In some places you'll be successful, but over, overall you won't be. Um, yeah. Which is brings us on nicely to our final little bit, which is about Kia's interview on um, yeah. Piers Morgan. Life stories is a night. I mean, obviously Piers Morgan is not any of our favourite journalists, I imagine. Um, oh no, I, I love him. I think he's bloody brilliant. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Obviously, not. obviously. Not. It was great. It was just great. I think it went really well for Kia. Um, I think even mm, I even did. even Piers Morgan mm. thought it went well for Kia, and and it was great to see him coming out of his shell a bit. You know, in all senses, it was. I thought it was unbelievably courageous for him to talk about his mother's uh, terrible yeah. illness and his his difficult yeah, yeah and his difficult relationship with his with his dad and. He's had a pretty hard life. I know yeah. the, the first thing for people to say is, well, he's a, he's a leader of the opposition. He's on this much money. He was a director of public prosecution. He had a really hard life, particularly early on, and, and he's, he's made a great life for himself, and it's yeah. inspiring. That's, what, yeah. that's the vision we should be pushing for the country, yeah. that if you do have a hard life, then you can make good of it, and that's what Kia's done. We also saw the real side of him, you know, his energy and his fun and his hobbies and his passion for yeah. <laughs> football. football. He likes... Yeah, he likes a pint with his mates. He likes football. It, it, I think I just think it was really worthwhile doing the interview so that every Labour supporter and people that were yeah. on the fence about him, because the main yeah. thing that why people weren't voting Labour when it came down to Keir wasn't because they dislike him, really. It was because they didn't know enough about him. And yeah. I think every Labour supporter, whether you're a Corbynite, you're a Blairite, I don't care, can be proud of who leads our party after that. As a person, I think they can be proud of him. It's difficult to get all this out in Parliament and it might come across a bit rigid and robotic sometimes because it's such a serious environment. But I think if mm. he does more candid interviews like that and takes some of that, what he had on that interview into Parliament and into his interviews later on and his public appearances, I think it might help his case. I think basically he needs to meet 
as many people as possible on this listening tour and really get to know him and really speak to him because when he does speak to people, people think he's great. You know, I know there's some people that are disappointed with his actions so far and the actions he's taken in Parliament, but I don't think many disagree that he's honest and that he's committed um, mm. and that he'll work tirelessly to reform this party in the way he sees fit that'll get us back into government. So I think overall, the the interview touched on a lot of tricky subjects and I think he handled it yeah. really well. And I think it was more about his life and it was more about him as a person rather than about the party because, you know, the media is overrun with Keir Starmer talking about the Labour Party. That, there's no value in that. So I'm glad Piers Morgan went on his life story. And I just think, I just think it worked really well. And I think it showed how much of a honest, uh, straight up, normal person he really is. Yeah, I agree with all that, Tom. Um, I really, I really like him as a person. Then again, I really like Jeremy <laughs> Jeremy Corbett as a person as well. And you can uh, disagree politically on things. Cool. I think, as you say, I think it was brave to talk about his mom. He, he was sincere. I was, I was really upset on Twitter to see people that were me- meant to be party members taking the Michael that he was crying on on that. Yeah, um, I, thought, I thought it was disgusting actually. I thought, um, I, well, you know, who I. I yeah, it, it was clear. It was clear that um, that 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 was real emotion pouring out over what must have been an incredibly, incredibly tough circumstance for Keir. And anybody who couldn't empathise with that, quite frankly, and, and you know, would laugh at him. Quite frankly, I don't want them in the party. They don't belong in the Labour Party. We're the good guys, and we believe we we treat treat people with empathy and respect and compassion. Supposed we to, don't do that. We're supposed to be humanitarians and socialists, mm, and then you have absolutely. people like I mean, Twitter is a cesspit, and these larger were anonymous accounts that were going on and on and on about Kia trying to yeah. cut the sympathy vote and stuff like that. It's just absolute rubbish. Um, yeah. Yeah. These people claim to be socialists and claim to be big humanitarians, but when it matters, when it comes down to it, they don't give a toss. And it's yeah. and it was the same when Boris Johnson was in hospital. And yeah. It, yeah. It, it just brings the movement into disrepute when people Absolutely. speak about other humans like that, and I think it's disgraceful. So, yeah, I, as I say, really like him. I think he's got, he's got the intelligence... He's got the looks. I mean, you know, I'm afraid to say that it doesn't. It does have an it does have an impact in in politics as as much as it is ridiculous that it does. It does have an impact. Um, he, he, you know, he's got the the core values and the life experience to to really kick on with the Labour Party. What I am concerned about with the Labour Party at the moment, and I think the the, the two factions, the polarised factions of, in the Labour Party are the sort of right, and we saw what they were up to undermining the Jeremy Corbyn project, Labour Party staffers in, in HQ. They were doing some, you know, some things that were, I mean, they should have been kicked out of the party, in my view. It's as simple as that. They, they were tr- actively trying to undermine Jeremy Corbyn and, and the leader of the Labour Party. And I think that is wrong because there are so many people in this country that desperately, desperately need a Labour government and, to, and Labour elected representatives. So to undermine the Labour Party is to make people poorer, is to ruin people's lives. Uh, and that is, to me, is totally unacceptable. Those people, I hope, uh, I'm worried that they are advising Keir Starmer at the moment, and and I'm worried that um, their hatred of the left in the Labour Party is blinding them to the fact that a lot of what Jeremy Corbyn 
did and what he represented is was very popular with with huge swathes of the public and is is, is the direction that we should be going in I, essentially i don't want people to i'm hoping that people that are surrounding Keir Starmer are not blinded and driven by their hatred of the left as opposed uh, and, and focusing on what people actually want it works both ways that I think, you know, and, and why we saw problems with Jeremy Corbyn's leadership is that um, there were people in, in that were supporting him that were so paranoid and hated the right that saw things like anti-Semitism as a right wing plot. When actually there was clear, clearly it was obvious now that anti-Semitism was an, an issue within the Labour Party that they felt uh, failed to deal with. They were blinded by that fact. I think the the old axiom you can't see with the wood for the trees is is the one that fits, and it fits for both sides. I'm cautious. I'm I, I can be optimistic with Keir Starmer. I like him. I really, really hope that he steps up. But he, I, I'm I'm you know I'm making the point. I'm labouring the point here, Tom. But I think we need. A radical policy agenda it needs to be a narrative it needs to be sensible you can't go saying that we're going to have uh, spend huge swathes of public money on on things that don't mean anything to people or and not explaining how we how we're going to pay for it you know that's ridiculous and and you know people have been uh, forefouling of that for especially in the labor party for a long long time but i do think people want something different and the labor party has to be the be offer them that otherwise they will go somewhere else as they have done with the Tories, you know, the Tories are seen as radical. That's why they've gone there. I think that's right. I think we disagree a little bit. I think we, we we normally agree on everything, but I can see that on this on these this analysis and and sort of and, and where we are, I think actually our, our differences are, are starting to come out a little bit. But I mean, it shows you that you know people with different, completely well, not completely different views, but with different views. You know, me and you work very, very well together and always have done. So it shows you that you know just because you've got slightly different views on things doesn't mean that you can't work, be friends, and work together for the betterment of the Labour Party. I mean, it speaks to it's, it's a testament to that, isn't it? Any Labour government, Corbynite, Blairite, I don't care, is better than a Tory government. That's, that's right. Every Labour activist should work on, and that's what I did while Jeremy Corbyn was leader, and that's what I am doing now. But yeah, you know, and I agree with you. We should be radical. My only issue is, you know, what I've said before is that taking all these issues together and the the battering we got in 2019, um, and the toxicity that that brought with it, alongside disgraceful things like anti-Semitism, mm. that Keir and his team have dealt with. Um, I'll see you dealt with quite well. Um, mm. I'll leave that to Jewish comrades to decide, not me. But, yeah, you know, yeah. it, I think, yeah, I agree with your point. It, it, we do need to be radical. We do need to offer new things. We need to offer things that people want rather than just pick something and say, you have to be bothered about this. It's not, that's not the case. We need to talk to people. This is why I think this listening tour is a, is, is a really good opportunity for Kia if it's done right. Um mm. So we'll just see what brings out of that. But yeah, I think that's all I've got to say. <laughs> and, that, and on that bombshell. We, <laughs> my brain's, uh, my think... brain is empty now. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's been, I mean, we've got a lot of our chest there, didn't we, in, the, in, in this podcast. And um, I don't think I have to bleep yeah. anything out either. Do I have to bleep anything out? I don't know. Mm, no, I don't think so. I think we're okay. <laughs> Swear now, quick. <laughs> um <laughs> This, it needed to be said. I think these conversations are happening up and down the country in branches, CLPs and various podcasts and pubs and 
and um, coffee houses across the country. And it, it needs to happen. We've got to do something. But look, here's the light at the end of the tunnel. Look at where the Tories were in 2019 before Boris Johnson became the leader. They were they were nowhere. They were bodging these cause Brexit to everybody who hated Brexit. They caused Brexit. And to everybody that voted and wanted Brexit, they were ruining Brexit and they were nowhere and they looked absolutely doomed. There was no way to get out of it. And they were able to reposition themselves and, and, and find huge electoral success. And, you know, they were at 55% in the polls at one point. And, you know, they, they are gaining, they've got momentum behind them and, and um, they're doing much better than us. There's no point in denying it. So it can be done. It can be done. We've just got to think differently. More of the same isn't isn't going to change things. Kia, because he wears a nice suit and he's called Sir Kia, and he isn't going to cut it because he represents the Labour Party in a, in a nice blue suit. You know, we have to change what we well, or or at least to show people what we stand for as a Labour Party, and then I'm sure we will find electoral success. But these are tough times. They're yeah. really tough times, aren't they? <laughs> I just hope we get it right now because I'm sick. Postmortems. I've been in this party eleven years, and all I've ever had is postmortems, election, yeah. postmortem, yeah. election, yeah. postmortem. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. terrible. So yeah, we've got to get it right between us, um, and I'm sure we will. I'm sure. Tom Hinchcliffe for Prime Minister, 2024. <laughs> no, not 2024. 2028, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, yeah. whatever. <laughs> we'll probably have ten elections before then. Who yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. And I mean, the Tories are out of, of age twenty years by then, rather than. I know. I know. I know. I mean, look, the, the Tories are—they are going to fall on their uh, backside very sharply when the COVID boost is finished. I mean. You know, there's going to be an economic depression. Um, they're not going to be able to deliver on every, everything that, on all the things that they said. There's going to be more austerity because that's what the Conservatives Party does. You know, um, we'll be able to analyse how they have ruined Brexit, like it or loathe it. There were opportunities for Brexit, and they've, they've, they've ruined. They've, you know, they've, they've sabotaged or sabotaged those. You know, look at what's happening in Northern Ireland, reneging on the promises there. Look at where the NHS NHS is because of 10 years of austerity and the backlogs. All these things are going to come back. So perhaps this time next year, we'll be talking about Labour being 55% in the polls and looking absolutely dead certs to win the election in 2024. It doesn't feel like that now, though, and it's, um, it's worrying, comrades. <laughs> when we do our um, final thing, when we do our uh, 2024 election special podcast, yeah. Because yeah. this will definitely be still going then. That yeah, <laughs> we, um, we'll 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 tackle that then. We'll go back see if we were right. Do you think it'll be going until twenty twenty four? This podcast might so. finish us. You know, we've been too honest. Yeah, no, we've not canceled. been very political in this. You know, everybody <laughs> knows where we stand and everything. Strong views coming out. You know, we'll turn off all. We, I mean, we we do all right. We get four hundred listeners, don't we? Most yes, podcasts. Yeah, I, how's that? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think uh, because we haven't got two hundred will turn off after this. <laughs> because we haven't got a guest on, we probably have ten or something. It'll be me, you, sure. everybody else. I'd say my girlfriend, but she wouldn't listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, no worries. Well, yeah. Thank you very much then, Tom, and thank you to all our listeners out there that have stuck with us this, uh, this podcast and listened to our stream of consciousness. I mean, really, you could have just gone down the pub and had this conversation with your friends. That's what it was, essentially. Just drink, it? But, um, drink and listen to us. That's my... Opinion. Yeah, there you go. 